0: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello and welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Tiffany Parks. Katie is away this week and we are talking with Liam Callanan, who is an author and he among several books that he has written, most recently is When in Rome... And before that was Paris by the Book, both of which I have read and loved. Hey Liam, thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's so great to be here. It's so great to be here in Rome.
0: Yes, it's so exciting. Katie usually does the author interviews and she often does them via Zoom. Sometimes she's lucky enough to get to do an interview in person these days, but for me to get to do an author interview in Rome and we're sitting on a sidewalk cafe in Prati on a beautiful sunny day. Finally, the sun has come back to Rome. And so it's, it's really such a pleasure to have you.
1: It's so great to be here and I take full credit for having brought the sun back from Wisconsin.
0: Yes, who knew? Wisconsin had better weather than Rome. Um, so I want to talk specifically about your book, When in Rome, because that's your newest book. When did that come out?
1: When in Rome came out in April of 2023. So just so, a couple weeks ago.
0: Just, yeah, I, a didn't, months ago. I didn't realize it was so recent. I thought it was, I thought it was March.
1: It might have been March. Everything's kind of been a blur since it launched, so it's been exciting.
0: So, if you want, you can describe the story of the book, or I can try. It's been a few mu- about, about a year or at least since I've read it, because full disclosure, I helped Liam uh, do sort of a accuracy, authenticity check for the Rome portions of the book, because, of course, the title went in Rome. Clearly, the book takes place in Rome, at least most of it. And so I got to read it before anybody else did
1: Yes, I had to have like an expert core of uh, people read it because I don't live in Rome. I've been to Rome several times before writing the book, but I really needed some kind of local expertise on the ground. And I thought, bittersweet life, Tiffany, this is the perfect kind of connection. And so, uh, Tiffany, you were very graciously read the book, gave me some great advice. And I liked how you also kind of let me slip at the end. There's some, I I don't know how, I don't want to spoil it, but there's an interaction with the Italian legal system where you said, this could never happen in real life. Tell your uh, readers that. But I'm going to let it slide because it's such a great ending. So I was like, oh, this is great. So we got that kind of leeway. But actually, if I, so if I had to come up with a quick introduction or summary of it, what I've been using, it's an American realtor. She's in her 50s. She's looking for a midlife change. She comes to Rome to help some nuns sell their old convent. And then in the process decides she wants to join the convent. And right at that point, her old college flame shows up and a, a dilemma ensues.
0: Ooh, if that doesn't get you intrigued, I don't know what will. So I love... First of all, before we get into the story of the book, since you touched on it, you wrote this book about a city that you don't live in, that you've never lived in, that you've traveled to, and if I'm not mistaken, the same was true for your Paris book, right? You've never lived in Paris.
1: It was true of the Paris book, and it was also true of my first book, which was set in Alaska. I have a thing about, like, I like to travel to books in my head before I actually go there. I definitely, I always show up in the city eventually, But like part of my experience and part of what I'm writing about is being a visitor to a city, not being a local in that city. And so in some ways it's very reflective of my own experience. But I like to travel through reading myself and so I like to travel through writing as well. And so this is, I just, I love Rome uh, and part of the process for researching the book was actually tuning into The Bittersweet Life. Each week so I could kind of hear those bells chiming and kind of put myself in the mood before I would settle in for that week's writing assignment. Uh, but I think it's it's part of the pleasure for me, part of, for me, the pleasure of reading is getting to go someplace. And so I've always wanted to go places in my own work. So I wouldn't pick someplace out of, out of the blue and then never actually go there. That's not my style. But at the same time, I do want to go to places I'm unfamiliar with because I think something about that unfamiliarity breeds an extra level of observation, or at least it does for me.
0: I love that. I love that. And I love what you say about you know traveling through reading and traveling through writing we have talked a lot about traveling through reading on this show sorry motorcycle um we have done at least one episode on have you ever traveled because of a book you read that inspired you to go there or have you ever picked up a book that was set in a place that you went and both are wonderful and both are 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 great things to do so if you love rome if or paris When in Rome, Paris, by the book. They're both awesome. And your first book that's set in in Alaska?
1: It's called The Cloud Atlas, which, importantly, is not Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell, which is a much more famous book. My title is similar, except I have a the at the beginning, which teaches (laughs) you the value of editing. If I'd only cut that the, I might have won the Booker Prize, too, and had a Tom (laughs) Hanks film made about me. But that was another place like I'd always been kind of amazed about, Alaska, and that's during World War II and kind of follows a strange chapter of uh, American history that occurred then. And so I think it's just a way to explore, the more you explore a place from the process of writing, the more you uncover about it, it's a kind of a deeper, richer way to live in the city. And I thought Rome is just such a wonderful place to do that from. I mean, it's, of course the challenge is you're bumping into so many different stories over here along the way, you can't turn and not hit, like, another, not just a story, but, like, an amazingly deep 2,000-year-old story. And so kind of sifting what was true and what was not and how deep I could go, that was always a challenge all the way through. But if anything, like, I overwrote. So I probably had about six or 700 pages of stuff that I wrote. And then, of course, I had to toss about 400 pages. Um, That is so much. It's so much. I wish I was... Do you save that stuff? I do save it. But I have it, I call it the bullpen. Like, I just kind of keep cutting off things and putting them in this file. Because, like, it's all, I guarantee you, listeners, it's all amazing writing that you would want to read every word of. (laughs) But I know that, like, I'm not capable of writing an 800-page book that's going to have people hooked. Some authors are. But for me, it would just get repetitive, I think, for my readers. So I just, but for what I do is I think part of my process is just, like, putting all the clay on the wheel first. And I really don't know where I'm going until I put it on there. Like, I'm not sure if it's like that for you, but, like, I have to write to figure out what I'm writing about, and it's only once I've gotten to the end that I realize where I was supposed to start. And so once I've gotten that, then I can put together the kind of whole process. But until that point, I just kind of write, 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 kind of churn up. I'm so jealous of writers who outline, who kind of have everything sorted out from the beginning, because they really seem to kind of have like a much more efficient way of writing. I just have to pile up the words.
0: Well, I can tell you from my lim- limited experience that my first book I wrote in the same way you were saying, just write, 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 write. I have no idea where this is going. And it ended up working, but a lot of editing was, yes. was required. And now I have tried to do the, the plotting, like you said, the outlining. But I'm not finding it it's any easier. I find that I can make an outline, but can I follow it? That's the hard part.
1: That's the hardest part. Of, I mean, the tyranny of the outline. Like, I think, well, one author told me, it's just you suffer at the beginning or you suffer at the end, depending on when you do your process. And for me, I guess I suffer at the end because there's just dramatic changes in this book all the way through, and just kind of cutting and shaping. But the, for me, that's the fun part. The hardest part is staring at the blank page, that little cursor that just keeps blinking at you like, when are you going to type a word? I feel like that's what the <laughs> cursor is telling me. But then at the end when I'm kind of cutting and shaping and looking at the words and like weighing each paragraph I mean the funny thing is when I do readings now Even if I go to a bookstore and I read from a little bit of the book I'll have this experience of like I could cut this paragraph I could cut this line I could change this right now and sometimes I do at the podium I'm like I could almost want to sell people books with my line edits that I did from the reading
0: I love that idea. I, I also love um, the editing process and I love I just get out my machete oh, I and I just cut idea. mercilessly. It's, it's one of best. my favorite things.
1: It's the best. There's nothing better than kind of cutting away. What I like cutting for is length too. Like if I'll just set myself a goal, like if a chapter is 25 pages, I'll say let's get this down to 20. Or if a passage is like a thousand words, I'm like, what can we do to get it to 800? I think there is such a thing as cutting too much. But rarely, rarely. I'm always about cutting more than you think you need because you can always add it back. Especially, I mean, I think about authors from previous ages before computers, when they would tear out pages, like they would be gone forever. Whereas for me, it's like, oh, I can just open up a file. It's Right.
0: Now, um, I just want to touch back briefly on your what you were saying about in your writing about places that you travel, because I'm curious. And it might be different for these two different books, the Paris book and the Rome book, but did you get inspired by a trip to that place and then you started writing? Or did you think, okay, I'd love to write about Rome, and then you went there?
1: I was definitely inspired by a trip. Uh, In each case, I was inspired by a trip. Like in Paris by the book, I was inspired because I had gone to Paris with my family to write an article about children's books in Paris. And while we were there, we stumbled into an English-language bookshop, and the proprietor kind of half-jokingly offered to sell the bookstore to us. And uh, my wife is a much more financial... I was ready to do it and lose all of our money in a month. But my (laughs) wife, thank God, is more responsible than I am. But still, I thought, like, what if we had bought the bookshop? What would it... Like a little American family in Paris running a a bookshop in the Marais, what would that have been like? And so a book was born. Uh, In the case of When in Rome, things began a little bit differently. I was touring for another article, my daughter and I were touring around Europe looking at universities with programs that taught in English but the country's language was not English, so it would be a great way to go abroad. And when we stopped in Rome we stayed in this little boutique hotel up in Trastevere called now you can to help me with the name Donna Camilla Savelli.
0: Yes, and our listeners have been hearing about this hotel recently.
1: I know, this is so exciting that this is all This is happen.
0: synchronicity, I swear.
1: So we were staying, my daughter and I were staying in this little hotel up in Trastevere. It was beautiful and we just kind of stumbled into it and as we were checking in, I mean, it was a great kind of little castle of a place. And as we were checking in, a nun appeared from like behind this little door and then walked behind us across the lobby and then through another door. And I asked the receptionist, I said, what's, what's going on? Is there, is there a convention or something? She said, no, 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 this, this all used to be a convent. But the nuns, over time, were sold off different wings of the convent, and now there's just a couple of them left, who are still on the premises until they too fade away, then the whole hotel will be given over to hotel business. And I just thought, like, what an amazing story. To kind of have a community that's been here for i think in their case like four or five hundred years and what happens when that all shifts over to kind of a new transition and so once the wheel started turning i just couldn't stop thinking about it and that put me in mind of like what happens when a convent has to sell like who helps them with that and i think we live in milwaukee and like a lot of and we live in the city itself, and like a lot of urban cores, there's a lot of old churches of various denominations which have gone through several lives and then gone on to become other things, whether it's hotels or restaurants or private living spaces, where it just kind of get abandoned too. And I find that very poignant because those communities are always communities that were meant a lot to a core group of people at one time. And what does it mean when a building loses that community? Is the community still there? Not necessarily in a ghostly way, but maybe in a spiritual way. Like, what does it mean? What is, how does place shape who we are and what we think about? And I thought that was really true up there in Trastevere. Uh, It was also just a beautiful place to stay.
0: Oh, I love that. And I love that, I love hearing these inspiration stories because I'm always fascinated by what it is. What is the seed that starts an author off on on a particular path and a particular story. So I love that it was really that hotel especially because as our listeners know we're taking a group of 10 of our listeners we still have some rooms left 10 of our listeners to Rome in october of this year and uh, and that's where we'll be staying because it is such a beautiful place
1: you know another seed of the book too which i think this is very much in in uh chimes with the bittersweet life not mission but kind of aesthetic and conceit all the way along it's a story about kind of starting over starting a new life and so it's not just i mean there are some definitely some nuns in a convent in the book but it's also about like what it means to start over again the woman in the book who uh is named claire she's 52 at the beginning of the book she's not satisfied with her real estate career she kind of wonders she fell into it it was never her plan she's always specialized in selling old churches and she really feels like was this what i was supposed to do and so she's looking for like a do-over like a starting fresh opportunity and i feel like that's part of what calls her to Rome. and uh, that part is true actually inspired by another really fascinating story or at least fascinating to me i had an uncle or first cousin or second cousin i'm not sure he lived in the turn of the century chicago and he loved to go down to the kentucky derby he was a kind of a big playboys salesman kind of running around around town in like the fanciest car and he'd go to the kentucky derby every year wager gamble all kinds of craziness and he would get kind of so worked up in all of this fast living that he would retire after the derby, he would always go do a retreat at a Trappist monastery that was about fifty miles south of the Derby. So every year he had this routine. He'd go down to the Derby, drink, gamble, wager, do whatever case him, and then he would go to the monastery and kind of cleanse himself. And one year he goes to the monastery and he tells the abbot, I wanna stay. And the abbot's like, for the usual, like a weekend, a week? And though he says, No, I wanna stay for the rest of my life. And the abbot's like Sure you are. You're 42. You have a successful career. You want to trade it all to kind of come live in an abbey. And the rule of their abbey is that you never leave the grounds of the property. And so for a well-traveled guy like himself, he couldn't believe it. So the abbot put his car up on blocks because he never thought it was actually going to happen. But after a year, he checked in with him and he said, yeah, I want to stay. And so he stayed the rest of his life. And that story has always been an interesting part of my family history. And like what it means to kind of like truly start things over midlife like not all of us have to enter convents or monasteries but I think the opportunity to reflect on what you're doing and when you're doing it I myself I was 10 years out of college 10 or 15 years out of college working as a corporate speechwriter and doing a lot of PowerPoint presentations and a lot of speeches and I was writing but not the kind of writing that made your soul sing and I thought maybe I should be doing something different. And so I took a gamble and I went back to school. I got an MFA. I wrote a book, that first book that's set in Alaska, the Cloud Atlas, and then that got me into teaching. And so it kind of completely changed everything for me. And like the idea that I got to do that, it's just something I wanted to kind of explore in a book through another character. I will say part of the key to my being able to start over was definitely my wife staying employed and keeping us in health benefits. So whenever anyone asks me the secret to writing, I always say marry well.
0: Ah, that is a good, that's a good tip.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Now, when you talk about starting over, both of your most recent books, and I'm going to talk more about your two most recent books, Paris by the Book and When in Rome, because those are the ones I've read. But they both are about starting over in a sense, probably When in Rome more so, because she moves abroad. She is a single mother whose daughter is grown, Mm -hmm. and she moves abroad by herself, she doesn't even move abroad she goes abroad thinking she's just going to work and and her life is turned upside down um and in paris by the book uh it's i'm not going to give anything away but it's a mother of of, i can't remember it's two two daughters two daughters daughters, um and and they move to um to paris to buy this bookshop sort of on a whim after there's been also a rupture in the family It made me wonder, well, first of all, I have to say I really appreciate stories about female heroines who are not 24, Yes. you know?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's to me, like, that's, that's where the heroism starts is after, 20. not that you can't be heroic at 24, but uh, to kind of, like, explore and to kind of shake off all the old ways of thinking or kind of, because your own thoughts can kind of constrict you and, you know, to be up there 50 or 52, which I am myself, is a way to kind of explore the world in a, in a, from a different perspective and so I thought it was a it's just a great way to kind of think of it but I also think it'd be a great I feel like there's a lot of actresses who talk about not finding good roles at 50 will want to point to this book like this is one this is one absolutely, um,
0: absolutely. and there is a rom- romantic element as well which is, is great
1: a, yeah there's a romantic element to this as well it's a rom-com with a comment, I like a rom- roman, roman comedy with a comment, rom-com with a comment. Rome, rom-com. Rome, rom-com. But, I mean, that's another part of, like, I interviewed many women for the story, both women religious and I interviewed women realtors and had a lot of women read the book cause, so I could get that right. But, again, I'm kind of approaching it from another perspective. But there's also a male perspective in the book. There's an old kind of once buzzy actor who kind of, as I said, shows up and kind of tries to woo her away, sparks and Sue. But he's also looking for kind of a change, which I think is something that a lot of us are.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of people who listen to this podcast are looking for a change or they've made a big change and they want to hear from other people who have or they're trying to get up the nerve to. And I think a lot of people who've dreamed of, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be moving abroad, but I think that is a big part of our listenership anyway. But I think a lot of people think, well, I can't move abroad because I'm, this, you know, I'm a single mother with two kids, right. two school-age kids, right. or I can't move abroad because I'm 52. And I love your books because they explore these stories and they may not be true stories, but they are, they could be true. Just two stories of these two women who, not the typical moment of life to just have right. your European adventure, right. they do it when it's right for them.
1: Absolutely, and I think like that's part of the, and the energy that comes from doing that. Not that it's all gonna be simple or restful, or productive or whatever the adjective you want a positive adjective you want to assign to it but like the idea that you do it that itself is energizing like those decisions aren't difficult but at the same time ultimately making that decision to go to kind of be to become that decision is very simple and once you make it then you just follow it through and again it's not guaranteed that it's going to work out but the hardest part is like that first step And then once you've made that decision, things flow from there. And so serendipitously, like I would never predict it back when I was doing PowerPoint presentations back in the day that I would one day be sitting in Rome on the sidewalk talking about books I had written. So, I mean, it's just amazing to kind of think how things work out like that.
0: I agree, sometimes you just gotta make that leap and things fall into place. But that's just the way I I see it. Now, I wanna ask you because these two most recent books, it begs the question, are you going to move abroad someday? Do you have that ambition?
1: We definitely have that ambition. We have to figure it out, but we still have, uh, our youngest is still halfway through high school on her way to college. And I don't know if she's tuning into this broadcast, she's probably worried that we're gonna move tomorrow and leave all of her friends behind. So I don't think, we're not planning to do that. But um, once she's done, we're definitely thinking, I mean, we've, it's a big world. Like, and we've only seen so much of it. And kind of seeing, I feel like living in a new community, whether that's abroad or just around another state, It's something that kind of forces you to kind of develop and grow and become a richer person yourself. and At least challenge yourself and kind of say, it's almost like going to the gym socially. Like there's a social component that challenges yourself to live in a new community. And I think that's part of what that excitement is about. So I'm not exactly sure where we're headed, but uh, we've certainly explored Paris and Rome to a great degree. So we definitely have plans. But um, again, for my daughters tuning in, I always think like they want us to keep a museum of their childhoods active in milwaukee so they don't uh, want us to sell the house
0: i know i went through the same thing and both of my parents eventually sold their houses and it's hard but it, it you hard. know you, your parents have to have lives too
1: right no they do and so but uh we're not getting ready to move anytime soon but we definitely are thinking about it because we've also one of the things we've realized is just there's such a graciousness in kind of learning how other people live like just the fact like here in rome the idea like i love that you do not walk down a roman sidewalk and see people carrying giant venti-sized lattes in a cardboard cup. Like here you have, you stop like we are, and you have like a little cup of espresso, you stand at the bar, you pause, you stop, is the most important thing. That's something that you wouldn't pick up if you hadn't kind of lived and explored a little bit elsewhere, and like that's, not that everything in Rome is better than the United States, like maybe the trash pickup could be better in some places, (laughs) but I think like just the idea of like, finding a culture which teaches you something like as simple as stopping and kind of appreciating or just like I think you've talked about this on the podcast before like just looking up as opposed to looking down there's so much to see like where we're sitting there's these beautiful old balconies which kind of have some mold and some plants and some wires going back and forth and just kind of seeing and the detail of like garlo and the brickwork um, it's just fascinating and I think it's a wonderful way to live
0: I agree. And as one of our guests said, and I can't remember who it was, one of our previous guests, I think it might have been our the extremely close friend of both Katie and myself, Suzanne, who talked about her time living abroad as a student. I think it was her who said when she was moving abroad, somebody gave her the piece of advice, seek first to understand, then to be understood.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think,
0: I think that being an expat, living abroad, traveling abroad, does teach you the humility in that.
1: Deep humility. I mean, that's something I confront all the time. Like the idea of, especially coming from the United States, thinking that you've got it figured out completely, like every last bit of it, and then you go somewhere else and I'm like, oh wait, this is a better way of doing things, or this is a this is a new or different or kind of creative way, or this kind of allows us to do things in a more elegant or not elegant, but like productive or accommodating way. Like there's just so much to appreciate like that, and I feel like that's part of what I pick up every time I travel, no matter where I travel. Paris, Rome, or China, there's always something to understand, is is exactly that quote, something to understand. Before I say, like, why aren't people doing it this way? I'm like, well, (laughs) there must be a reason why they're doing it that way, so let me see.
0: Exactly. So without giving too much away of the plot, of the end plots of either of the books, I will say that to my, how I read it, When in Rome is a much brighter
1: Mm -hmm.
0: book than Paris by the book. Paris by the book is a little bit darker. And I wonder if the cities themselves influence that, because Rome is not just bright as far as the sun, but it's, it's, it's a cheerful place. Rome is an upbeat place, whereas Paris is a more moody, melancholy place.
1: That's a really interesting way to read it. I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's entirely true. I think like I let the city, again, like I let the book tell me what it's gonna be about. And then with the Paris by the book, like, it's not entirely dark, but it's, but the ending is kind of darker, and it's a more kind of, well, it's a bittersweet ending uh, a little bit. And uh, whereas the Rome book was just, I think, just kind of more raucous and joyous book. It's, I mean, looking again, like if we could only have all of our listeners at this little table with us, they would see the sunshine, they would see the leaves, they'd see the kind of planters overflowing with flowers. I mean, there's a certain anarchic quality to Rome. There's also just a kind of, a, it's hard not to see someone smiling. I usually say, like, New York City, and I love New York City, but. It's almost impossible in New York City not to bump into someone who's having, as I put it, the worst day of their entire lives. Like, it just always seems like that process. Whereas you in Rome, I'm always bumping into someone who's clearly having the best day of their lives, whether they've traveled here from a great distance and they see the Trevi Fountain for the first time, or they're just kind of walking down the street from the grocery store with an arm arm-in-arm with a friend of theirs. Um, it's, again, it's not all happy-go-lucky, but there's a certain joy to the city that informed the book, and I, I wouldn't argue with that.
0: I love that. I love that. So now what I want to know is what you're working on next.
1: Oh, Because is... every
0: writer has something up their sleeve that they're either, either writing or planning to write.
1: I definitely have something up my sleeve, but I'm trying to figure out exactly where it goes. But I have a couple of different projects. One of them I'll just kind of say, my family and I took a Christmas trip to Dublin this year. And so that may factor into something like that. We'll have to see. And then continuing the kind of role of exploring through place I have another non-fiction project I've been working on, which is about the first person to fly to the Hawaiian Islands in the United States, who happens to be a Milwaukee native. And um, he flew at the same time Lindbergh flew to France, but it had nowhere near as big a reception because it was just overshadowed by reaching Europe as opposed to the Hawaiian Islands. His stories always fascinated me because it was equally audacious adventure. Uh, And then also he, at midlife, after having kind of this celebrated a career early on and then kind of fading into obscurity then kind of quit everything and became a priest at 50 and would fly around to tiny parishes for the rest of his time so there's something about that story which matches a spiritual element but also the exploring element that's going to come together so that's but that's right now as a nonfiction book yeah i'm just kind of auditioning cities of the world so if listeners want me to kind of mm-hmm. come write the book of their city well we'll have to figure it out London, London Calling, we could figure it out.
0: That sounds good. London is a fascinating place.
1: It is. I have to say though, just walking around Rome today, I don't know if I'll be able to convince my editor that I could do another Rome book, but there's so many stories here. And it's just like, with there's one around every single block. I was just having such the most marvelous walk over here today. And I broke one of my rules. One of my rules is uh, when I'm in a city is to never take the subway because life is experienced up top. There's only, you can see so much more, but I was a little bit late today, so I took the subway over. But one thing I like about the subway is like coming out, it's like a Broadway moment. When you emerge up from the steps, it's like showtime. (laughs) Like the city unfurls itself around you, the the lights turn on, the sky above you illuminates, the trees start leafing extra, and you kind of emerge in that darkness of the tunnel until the light of the day. It's just a wonderful moment, and so, I think there might be maybe a little bit more Rome left. I mean, maybe a short story, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna be vacuuming up the stories all the way home as I walk today.
0: I love that visual of vacuuming up stories. I think you you and your wife, once you got the empty nest, you gotta come move and live in Rome, because it sounds like just hearing you talk today that you, you love the city. Oh,
1: I mean, how could I not, but I absolutely do love the city. Like, I love everything. Like, it, not just the food and the drink, but the people and just like exploring it. And how like you can kind of go walk through different centuries of history over the course of a block. Like I would say this building's probably late 1800s that we're outside. But in a, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't take us more than 100 yards to find something from like the first century bc or that wonderful church the basilica of saint clement oh. that we toured where you can literally go from what is it 1500 to 300
0: to it's um it, the top church was built in about 1100 and then the lower church was built in the 300s and then the lowest level was built i mean after the fire of nero 64 ad somewhere after that yeah we went there together yeah, i, I took you there
1: it's just, and, but that was amazing to kind of travel through all those different layers of history, and that they're still there. I like, know I visit, it's incredible. It's like visiting, you, like visiting the first century without going anywhere. Like you, people ask about, like science fiction time machines. Like I understand the, the role of science fiction, but I've always thought like the best time machine is just to kind of walk down a city street, and to kind of see where the stories take you.
0: Yeah, Rome is a city where time travel is is, n- is not that hard to do. And just in case you missed it, last week I did a mini episode a week and a half ago. I did a mini episode all about San Clemente. So if you are like, what is this place? I've never heard of it. Go back a week and a half and you'll hear that bittersweet moment. I believe it was number 207. And that's another place that I'm going to be taking people to on our trip in October. That's on one of the places on the list.
1: I'm so jealous of that trip in October. That's going to be so great. Well,
0: you know, you could come.
1: I could come. And I understand people may get a party favor at the... Um...
0: Oh, thank you for reminding me. So we're putting together a little gift bag for each of our um, each of our 10 guests. So when I say 10, it's probably going to be 20 because every person is allowed to bring a guest, friend, partner, child, whoever. Someone you
1: meet on the plane. Someone
0: you meet on the plane, <laughs> there you go. And so we're putting together a little gift bag with some goodies in it. And Liam has so graciously offered to include his book, when in Rome, in our little gift bag.
1: Yes, and the best part is so you don't even have to carry it over the seas. It'll be just waiting for you when you arrive. So. Yes, it'll
0: be in your room. And we are going to try to figure out how we can get signed copies as well. We're working on that.
1: And there's, there's a fun part to it too on my website that's like a I have a Google map of all the locations in the book so people could actually drop a pin because we had to kind of explore Like doing the book, like I really did do the research. I did everything in the book that my character does, including jogging laps around.
0: You jogged laps around St. Peter's.
1: In the middle of the night.
0: No, I didn't even think you could get in there in the middle of the night.
1: I didn't think I could get in there either. So anyway, in the book, late in the book, my character's kind of having a literally a dark night of the soul moment. And she goes to, um, she decides she wants to kind of run laps around St. Peter. She's also training for a marathon. And so she decides to get some miles in while she's there. And so our last night in Rome, when we visited on this last trip, I told my wife that I need to go do this and she said, really, you're going to go run laps? She said, well, good luck to you, but I'm going to sleep. So I laced up and I went over there and it's it's totally quiet at night, Vatican City. I got to St. Pierre Square and I was like, surely someone's going to stop me. Surely someone's going to stop me. And no one did. So I just kind of went in the corridor and there was definitely some policemen who watched me very carefully, but I didn't do anything crazy. I just ran some laps, one, two laps. One, two, three, four, and I kind of got my miles in, and I just kind of let the atmosphere soak it up. And it was just a great... I really informed that scene in the book.
0: Um. I had no idea. I, I love that you, you did that. Um, my first book, Midnight in the Piazza, it, I live in Rome, so it was easy for me to have been to all of the places. I didn't do everything she does. I mean, I didn't climb out of a, a window and hop oh, down. Didn't? No, oh. I didn't get to do that. I didn't get to go underground uh, in the ruins of um, the theater of Balbi. But uh, it was easier than what I'm writing now, which is takes place in Rome. But it takes place in 1599. Right.
1: So, but you can still visit parts of 1599 here in Rome, as we were just saying. But it is a challenge. To yeah. Kind of do
0: yeah. It's there. a challenge, but it's a fun challenge.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I had to have dinner at a cafe, and I had to have a bottle of wine. Like, I also had to go to the hospital at one point, just <sighs> because my character, again, not to spoil things, but it has an interaction with the hospital. So I didn't. I just wandered to the hospital mm-hmm. asking for a COVID test, and then kind of kept getting the directions wrong on purpose so I could wander another corridor and take notes. But it wasn't a typical tour, tourist view of Rome, like there's was always something kind of new to explore. And that's what I love. There's a story around every corner. And so just the opportunity to interact with those stories, it's really part of the pleasure of writing a book and part of the pleasure of Rome.
0: Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you so much for joining me, Liam. I had such a great time talking to you, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to run out and grab your books because they are so 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 great and they are such great portraits of the cities that they take place in
1: oh i'm so glad to hear that it's really wonderful to kind of be part of it and it's also wonderful to be part of this this show and this community because like what one of the things that uh, bittersweet life i think does so well is really kind of create a community of its listeners and community is one thing i've been interested in all my books wherever they're set like what it means to be a place what it means to make a community and what it means to kind of make sure the community continues on it's a wonderful opportunity so thanks so much for having me on
0: Oh, thanks, for, thanks so much for coming and the books are When in Rome and Paris by the Book by Liam Callanan Thanks so much for listening, bye You could sponsor this show and reach educated, curious and compassionate listeners all over the world Our listeners are a remarkable, diverse and engaged group of people that I am so continually impressed by Visit bittersweetlife.net and click support to get the conversation started
1: Bye. <laughs>